Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 65, the one about what's holding you back, Gantt charts, video testimonials, and Scream 5. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. <laughs> well, thank you so much, sir. I've said it before, but this is the highlight of my week, spending time with a man who is also on a mission to keep marketing simple the voice of the Marketing and Finance podcast and the host of the award-winning Rodrock video series, I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much, Pascal. And here we are with episode 65. 65. It, it feels like a milestone. I know it isn't, but 65 feels like a milestone for me. Well, we tell our customers to always celebrate their small victories, not just the big ones. So I think we should go for 65. And I just mentioned a moment ago um, about Rod's vlog. I will, you know, embarrass you right now in front of our audience, <laughs> but you are fast approaching episode number 100 for Rod's vlog. And it's just such an achievement. Well done. <laughs> Do you know, it was so good to watch episode number one because episode number one of Rog Vlog was you were in that and our good friend Richard <laughs> Pub was in that as well. And it's nearly five years ago since I did the first episode of Rog Vlog and I travelled down to Newcastle to meet Richard and yourself. And we had a walk around town. We had lunch. We had dinner. We talked about films. We talked about marketing. It was a great day. And Rog Vlog was just a bit of an experiment then. And Obviously, it's carried on, and I still love doing it. And yesterday, I put out episode number 98. So, yes, you're right. Nearly there at episode 100. So, I have to think of something interesting to do. Is number 100 pretty much filmed or not yet? No, absolutely not, no. They, they tend to, if, if I do store them up, it tends to be only one or two in advance. So maybe next week I'll have to think about uh, what I'm going oh, I was to thinking do. maybe we should, uh, you know, Richard and I should come up to Edinburgh and then you can film number 100 with uh, you know the two of us with the, with the same stars <laughs> the same stars but getting back on track getting back on track today as always we've got lots to talk about in two geeks in a marketing podcast and later in film marketing we're going to be looking at the latest scream film now i'm not sure whether i'm supposed to call this scream 5 or just scream, but that's maybe something that we'll talk about when we get to the film marketing section. But before we get to film marketing, we've got to go through the other sections of the show, and we're going to start, as always, with In the News. And we begin with Iceland, who's brought back the role of marketing director by promoting Casper Nelson to the position following almost four years at the supermarket. The Advertising Standards Authority, the ASA, is taking out Instagram ads, exposing six rule-breaking influencers who have consistently failed to disclose ads on their own accounts despite explicit warnings. Well, according to a study of 1,000 people in the UK conducted this month, Roger, 58% have no idea what the metaverse is, and 96% of people aged 25 to 54 say that they have no plans to spend their cash in the virtual universe. Microsoft has bought Activision Blizzard in a $68.7 
billion, that's 50.5 billion pounds deal that represents the biggest buyout ever seen in the gaming industry. It gives Microsoft control of gaming franchises, including Call of Duty, Warcraft, and gives the Xbox platform an advantage over the rival Sony PlayStation. Wow. Well, Aldi has joined the race for the checkout free experience with the opening of its first shop-and-go store. Located in Greenwich, London, the trial store has opened to the public after being used by Aldi staff over recent months. Oatly has launched its biggest UK campaign to date about why eating a plant-based diet is going to be the norm in 2022 using the new Norman Owl Show, a mini-series of five episodes featuring two oat-drinking cartoon puppets puppets named Norm and Al. <laughs> well, Walkers has a new multi-million pound campaign entitled Britain's Most Loved Crisps, bringing together its full range of snacks for the first time to remind customers about the brand's unique and diverse portfolio. And finally, a new report from the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising, the IPA, has identified five steps marketing practitioners can take to have better conversations around the role and impact of brand purpose. Now, Pascal, pretty much every single of one of these news items is is worthy of being of, of your time and my time to talk about. Um, I, and it, I found it very difficult today to focus in on just talking about three of them. I really did want to talk comment about the metaverse, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lay, I'm gonna leave that because I've had enough rants about metaverses and NFTs over the last few weeks. So one of the uh, themes, I guess, that's come up on the show a lot over our 65 episodes is this whole disappointing or diluting of the marketing discipline and the fact that we're seeing or we have seen quite a few C-suite roles, marketing CMO roles, being effectively booted out of the boardroom. So what do you think about Iceland actually reinstating a marketing director role into their board structure? Well, I was delighted that we should start with that news because you're right, this has been a, a kind of running theme and thread through the, the 65 episodes, this idea of the marketing discipline being demoted because actually of its own approach to you know the language, to some of the, the, the kind of relying on hacks and tricks and apps as opposed to strategy and making a valuable contribution to the discussion of, of the C-suite. So what is often disappointing, it feels like there's like a yo-yo effect of, you know, we have a marketing director, then we don't, then we have one, then we don't. And, and I think really, as a result of which, you can't have, you know, the results that you desire as a business, you can't have the consistency. So I think it's, it's great news, but it does suggest still that there's still a lot of work to be done. As I mentioned before, you know, it's almost as though the, the discipline, the profession needs to almost re present itself and re-energize you know the, the, it's kind of um, belief by others in terms of their contribution to the success of a, of a company and it feels like it's been an ongoing battle for decades yeah and no doubt it is one that will continue because i would I would absolutely guarantee that if I went back to Marketing Week or or the consultancy website today, I'd be able to find a, a news item which said that a marketing director had left a company and won't be replaced or, or something equally similar. So, yes, you're right. It's a yo-yo effect. And I think that we've just got to keep banging the drum for marketing to regain you know the, the the position in the boardroom and start to show its strategic credentials again. Um, now Microsoft 
buying Activision yes. Blizzard. You're a big gamer. You're probably a bigger gamer than me. Um, I'm looking for a new game to play because Fortnite, since the latest update just before Christmas, has become almost unplayable. Um, I've been able to log into it once in about the last month. It's just as buggy as hell now. So I'm not a massive gamer. You are. So so tell me what you think about this purchase by Microsoft. It's fascinating to see what's happened to the gaming industry, almost like marketing. If 10, 20 years ago you told somebody you're working in gaming, you were a game developer, or you were the head, a CEO of a gaming company, people would laugh at you, saying, can you mm. get a proper job? Mm. And here they are now, actually, as an industry, as an, uh, in terms of employment, but also in terms of revenue, and by extension, what they provide back in terms of tax, it's actually one of the biggest industries in, in the world. And what we're seeing here is the same scenario that we saw with movies, which is about verticals. So what you want to do if you're Microsoft, or indeed, if you're Sony, is to own titles that will secure the loyalty of the players so this is a big deal because microsoft obviously owns the um, xbox platform and actually they've done some pretty good stuff around voice activations and and uh, immersions and so on and it's a bit like you know netflix who would own the rights to a particular series or a product and only if you have the Netflix kind of membership, can you watch it? The same we have with Amazon Prime, with the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's about owning what they call the IP, the property, to secure mm. um, that, that um, kind of purchase from the customer. Another one would be Disney with the Marvel and Star Wars universe. So this is a big deal, not just in terms of the sheer amount of money. I mean, I didn't know that people had fifty billion, you know, kind of slushing around in their in their petty cash. But um, this is about control, which um, is not necessarily a good thing because that means that only those who have an Xbox or Microsoft account will be able to play Warcraft in the future unless you have some arrangements with the other platforms. But, um, yeah, I, th I think it's, um, it's an example of uh, what is happening across other industries. And I was very interested by this story about Aldi, the store, in London opening its first checkout free experience. Now we've all been to the supermarket, it doesn't matter whether it's Tesco or or Morrison's or Sainsbury, you know, if it's a busy day, you'll get to the the checkout and your heart will just fall, won't it, when you see everybody <laughs> lined up with trolleys absolutely brimming with goods and you know you're going to have to be standing in line for quite a while now i've seen one of these stores in a vlog um from an american um, travel vlogger and there are quite a few of these in america and effectively it uses all sorts of cctv cameras it uses sensors and this that and the other and you quite literally walk in to the store pick things off the shelf and just walk out with them and it it remembers what you've bought, what you've picked up off the shelves, and it tallies it all up, and it charges it to your credit card or debit card, and Bob's your uncle. You've done it, and there's no queuing up to be done. Now, I absolutely applaud the idea of not having to queue up, but it's going to take a bit of getting used to, isn't it? I'm going to be feeling like I'm just walking in and stealing <laughs> stuff. You know, I'll have I'll have some of that. I'll have some of that. I'll have some of that. And then it's only when you get out and, and presumably your mobile phone beeps to tell you what the um, actual total of, uh, of your bill was that you actually realise that you, had, you have actually paid and you haven't become a shoplifter. 
I actually thank you for correcting me because I still believe that somehow that you would maybe scan the barcodes on your mobile phone. So my, my idea was that you'd be free of any of the uh, install systems, but there's still an element of you having to scan and, and almost um, educate the system that you're buying the item. Because that means, for example, let's say, you know, I put a, um, a tin of baked beans in my basket, but then I put it back on the shelf. So the system would be able to track, uh, you know, what it's like to be a, a shopper where you change your mind or or you, you forget something. Um, I, I think for me, the, the, the whole idea about honesty is, is a tricky one because you and I, you know, with the other extreme, we'll feel like we, we, we are shoplifters. And then you've got the real shoplifters. So, you know, how is that, is that going to work? But clearly... They've done a test for several months uh, with, with the staff. I'm sure they did scenario planning and, and that kind of thing. So uh, perhaps that should be an entry in one of your Rog vlogs, you know, you going to a shop and go store and tell yeah. the story. <laughs> and maybe they'll actually have a proper checkout for shoplifters to queue up at. Um, <laughs> that would be quite interesting. But no, this vlog that I saw of, the, in, of these stores in America, these people tried to break the system. So they were doing exactly what you were saying. They were taking a tin of beans off the shelf, wandering around with it for 10 minutes, and then taking it and putting it back on the shelf. And, and in this particular vlog that I watched, the system recognized what they were doing you know it's not like you go into a hotel minibar and you accidentally nudge a can of coke it doesn't come out the fridge but you nudge it and it charges you for it um so obviously technology has come quite a long way so i'm not going to rush down to london just to try out the aldi fair enough maybe when when you have an event (laughs) can i ask you about walkers so Um, well, to begin with, confession time. I, I don't really like crisps uh, much. I'm more of a kind of charcuterie and cooked meat kind of guy for, for my appetizers. But I will have tortilla chips. But So I'm aware of walkers. I mean, crikey, they, they, they take you know, a lion's share of TV advertising and so on with some celebrities. But when I read the item you know, about this idea of a unique and diverse portfolio, I thought, hmm, I wonder so how many types of um, walkers crisps um, are there? And when I looked at it, I was absolutely gobsmacked, literally. 141 different types of Walker's products, you know, crisps-based product. That's a marketing nightmare, isn't it? (laughs) They've got loads. And they also do lots of uh, special flavors so like they may tie it into a, into the football league and they'll have different flavors based upon who's which teams are in the final and, and things like that and they'll they'll create special recipes and special flavors to coincide with certain days of the year so they're constantly putting stuff out and one of the things when when i go abroad um one of my favorite styles of crisps that you can get in spain in france and in the usa is called lays L-A-Y-S, Lay's. And it's only recently that I realized that Lay's is the same as Walker's. Oh, right. And, and, and if you actually look at the, 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 the package, apart from the word Walker's and the word Lay's, it is actually the same shapes and branding and colors. It's just that for, for whatever reason, in the UK, they're called Walker's and everywhere else in the world, they're called Lay's. It's a bit like um, Starburst and Opal Fruits. Maybe eventually everything will... Uh, switch back and will be called they'll be called lays across the entire world but yeah it's a phenomenal um house of brands isn't it 
It is, and I'm just realizing we are recording this podcast near lunchtime. I'm getting quite peckish when I'm talking about all this. <laughs> well, let's move on then, Pascal, and then lunch will become a little <laughs> bit nearer. So let's move on to the next section of the show, which is always one of my favorites, and that is the content spotlights. In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table an item of content. It could be a video, it could be a blog, it could be a podcast, and we dissect it and share it. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? So this week, it's a video and a rather special one. And I, I chose it because I want to talk to you about a number of things. I want to talk about storytelling. I want to talk about hybrid events. I want to talk about tech and the future of life and work. Now, every January, there is an event taking place in the US called the Consumer Electronics Show, CES. I've learned recently that it started in 1967, which is quite extraordinary. And this year, they went ahead with the, the event, which was... I think cancelled last year, if not gone, it was online only. And they went for a hybrid event where people could go to Las Vegas and look at the exhibitions, talk to the um, traders and small and large. But there was also a, a large amount of content shared virtually via the, via the internet, of course. And I picked just one example amongst many because I think for you and I, for viewers and listeners, it's also a wonderful example of what we mean by hybrid, what we mean by storytelling. And this is from LG Electronics, who literally organized themselves as though they were creating a movie premiere. They call it a world premiere. And in a half an hour, they packed so much content information, but also storytelling, that it is you know, very much deserving of that kind of Hollywood experience. They even had John Legend doing a song for them and everything. So the half-hour kind of mini-documentary, you could argue, is called The Better Life You Deserve, and that's a theme through. So to begin with, I wanted to share with you the structure of this um, kind of visual experience. So it began with an opening statement from the CEO of LG Electronics, uh, William Cho, who really, in three minutes, really managed to capture all the key messages and delivered you know, the, the, what you would expect. And I thought it was a lesson in there in terms of short, sharp messages, but really well-crafted. And introducing the theme of this video, which was around a, a tech supporting your personal life, tech supporting um, inclusivity and mobility, and tech supporting uh, energy saving and becoming a more sustainable uh, nation, really. And then they had a structure, which was you had a short film, it was almost like mimicking a uh, American sitcom of a family and going through their day-to-day. -day. And after the short film, they had what they called a product showcase where the product team would give you more information and expand upon what you saw in a film. So it was um, A Better Life For You was uh, part one, you could argue. A Better Life For All was part two. And A Better Life Tomorrow was part three. All this essentially using the three-act structure of The Better Life You Deserve. And the short film followed the story of Ellie, a young mum, who is uh, in A Better Life For You, busy cooking meals for, for the family, and gets a visit from the neighbour, Carol. And Carol, essentially, is a protagonist who is wondering what is, what is all this tech, and Ellie uh, explains to her what, what happens. And it's done in a very kind of tongue-in-cheek way, uh, and you know, doesn't take itself too seriously. But really, uh, it's engaging. I mean, I found myself watching the five-minute movie and not not realizing that time has passed, and then you're introduced to the more traditional way of showcasing your products. 
but there was one example, and I thought of you because I know that you, you love cooking as well. So she's preparing um, a meal, and she has bought the products, obviously, online via the fridge door, because that's what you will do in the future. And what she was able to do was to scan the barcode of the product on the mobile phone, and that automatically switched on the, the oven at the right temperature and for the right duration. It also downloaded the, the recipe, did all sorts of things. But as Ellie is with her neighbor carol go, go around the house you go to the gaming room you go to the laundry room and so on and you're being introduced of course to lg products but it was just a very interesting way to go about it as opposed to just turning up on stage and going through a bunch of slides and, and demonstration so in the better life for all part two ellie visits her um, parents who are from a obviously more uh, older age group and bear would see the lg products in and around the elderly and uh, looking at convenience mobility and the number of things but also ellie's parents are very very energy conscious and they're using products to actually save energy and the environment but also this idea of inclusivity you know what can we do to support the um, aging population and then in a better life tomorrow we discover that ellie is a singer and she's going to record a video and we're introduced to essentially the set of the future with uh, all matter of automation and a very, very exciting um, kind of product, which is also uh, that others are doing beyond LG, which is the um, pod, which is essentially your car that will drive itself automatically to different um parts of the city or of the venue or maybe parts of the airport and so on. And this like this... Uh, kind of comfortable bubble with everything you'll want to be very comfortable whilst the vehicle is going from from a to b and i would invite people to to watch them they, they, they're great fun they, they go very very fast and then you can watch the product showcase and then of course uh, we close with um, the ceo of lg electronics coming back for the closing statements and all that packed in half an hour i just thought it was really really well made it was a good example of storytelling and please, people, don't dismiss it. Just because you don't have the, uh, the resources and budget of LG, you could do the same thing. You, know, you could simply grab your phone and tell the story you know, in the same manner. But also, it's about, I think, the precision. There was not one word, not one phrase that was just you know, extra. Everything was very, very tightly built together. And it's just a wonderful way to um, do hybrid. I'll just close very quickly with a bit of a complaint about the media. So CES 2022 went out with a hybrid uh, you know, event format. And the media went all out to dismiss the event as being a failure because not many people went there physically, as opposed to celebrating the fact that this was a successful hybrid event. Now, you and I have been championing hybrid events and everything that comes with it for quite some time. And it feels as though there's a long way to go for people to actually understand it, respect it, and, and approve of it. And that's the same media, Pascal, that in another breath would castigate people for breaking um, lockdowns and, and spreading <laughs> the virus around. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I've worked with the media so much during my career and, and I still like PR. I still think PR is one of the most exciting parts of the marketing mix. But yes, sometimes the media can drive you absolutely insane with their agendas. My uh, item this week, Pascal, is another article from Fast Company. 
the website. And this is written by a gentleman called Brian Scordato. The headline is The Surprising Way to Beat the Only Thing Your Brain is Hardwired to Hold You Back on. Now, I love this article because it tells a story. So Brian tells the story of how he was at a cocktail party and he got talking to a, a lady who was very high up in an investment company. And he sort of asks her to give him um, a snippet of what is the one thing that has made you the success that you are. And this lady immediately hits him back by saying, sell the position. And she explains, and she was working as a a high up person, this investment um, company. And every day she would have meetings with the investment people in her team. And they would agonize sometimes over some of the stocks that weren't performing, some of the stocks and shares that weren't showing a return. And then they'd make a decision one by one as to whether they should keep it or let it go. And sometimes she would have to listen to the excuses that the fund managers were giving about that sector of the market isn't performing as well, but maybe we should hang on to it a bit longer, etc., etc. And that's pretty much what all investment companies do. Um, every day they'll review the stocks and go through this process. And this woman said, it was fine, it worked, but we were always middle of the pack. And then one day she just pretty much got sick of this whole process and she decided to change it and say instead, okay, let's just sell it, sell the position. If we're not happy, sell it, wait until the next day and then ask ourselves whether we would buy it back. And since she changed that strategy, they have become top tier. And it Brian then goes on to say that this was a bit of a revelation for him because at the time he was putting a lot of his time and resource into trying to get an app out there into the market and to uh, and to launch it and hopefully for it to become successful but it that app was actually in a in a part of the market which was already quite saturated with other apps so he took the decision I'll sell it and then the following day decide would I buy it back and of course the answer was no and that freed him up to go off and work on some much more successful ventures and I think that it's a simple idea and of course you might you might sell something at the wrong time and and this is not investment advice of course but I do think that all of us and I find that I'm guilty of this we do hang on to things don't we you know we'll we'll have projects that we keep batting away at that might not be going well or we have maybe even customers that just aren't working and we have other projects that just aren't working but we keep at it because we think we'll turn it round we'll make it work but sometimes you've just got to let these things go and this is this article almost sort of gives you permission to say if i was to let it go for a day almost and then ask myself will i buy it back if there's a monetary value it's chances are you'd probably let it go for good and i think that perhaps in this this busy world that we live in where we do get involved in so many things pascal it may be time to sit down and make this call and say nope i'm selling that i'm selling that and you'll find that you'll actually not want to buy it back what do you think of that as an idea I like it a lot, and I think your timing is impeccable because you know we are still at the early stages of 2022, and it is important to cut back, to call, to uh, 
demote projects and so on. And I wonder whether it's also one that needs to be done with others, you know, as part of a mastermind group maybe, or as part of mm. a team effort, because you're right, we, we might not be the best judge sometimes for what needs to go. It's a bit like video editing, isn't it, in a way, mm. whereby there's a scene or there's a, a project, to take your, your term, that actually you, you enjoy doing, but actually, if you were to be honest, it's not providing you with value for the business or for you know the, the objectives you have you have in place, and and I think it is part of good management. It is part of being a leader, even though you might be on on your own, which is to take stock, and that's why those um, you know, board meetings exist to to a point. Although I've been on good, bad, and ugly meetings as you have as well. Whereby the directors almost, you know, step away from the emotional engagement and and investment. They kind of go, "Is this supporting our vision, yeah or nay?" And they may decide to divest, which is sometimes why then you have to have good communication with the rest of the troops, who because they may not have understood your own deliberation. But uh, and the reason why I'm saying your timing is impeccable because I recently made a bit of a list of all the things that I've got going, and it's a bit too much. I'll be honest with mm. you, Roger. Mm particularly around content creation and the need to to kind of you know reduce that list and but again each time i make the decision that for example that blog will go or that video series will go then there's that anguish you know mm. <laughs> but, but mm. will i miss it or whatever and and maybe what what you need is do what you do which is well if you if you stop for a month or for a week would you start again or not or if you like I said, you know, if you sold it in the case of business activities, would you buy it off the competition again? Because in fact, it is very important to you. So now, once again, you know what is surprising? Perhaps it shouldn't be surprising anymore with content spotlights. It's often the shorter articles that gives us the most to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even this, it just gets gets you thinking. I'm the same as you. I've got my podcast. I've got Rog Vlog. You've mentioned that today already. Other things. And, you know, eventually you have to start to say to yourself, which of these ones is genuinely adding value to my business and to my mental health and well-being, I guess, as well? And, and which ones could I actually let go? So, yeah, a salutary lesson for us both. So, Pascal, it's probably time for us to shift the conversation into more technical areas. Do you fancy talking about some marketing tech and apps? So, Pascal, tell me about the marketing tech and apps that you've discovered this week. So, this week's about really using the power of video content and video marketing to your advantage. And I want to talk to you about two platforms and two solutions. The first one is called Vocal Video. They actually got in touch with me, well, with, with many others, not just with me on my own, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. And once again, they've made such progress. I'm so excited for them that I wanted to give them a bit of a inclusion as part of marketing tech and apps. So Vocal Video is a all-in-one system to help you gather video testimonials which is you know, a really important part of your video marketing strategy. And the platform, which I've trialed, literally is a dashboard that helps you from start to finish to craft those video testimonials and get them embedded onto you know, your website. The team of Vocal Videos worked very hard, I can tell behind the scenes. The, the kind of refresh website looks, it looks exciting. The storytelling and how they, they uh, can take you step by step on what they can do for you is very, very clear very uh, engaging 
And the way it works is literally you have an account, you have a dashboard, and you manage your communication, which I think well, that's what it's all about. And you and I have tried, and we, we have encouraged people to capture video testimonials, but what a vocal video is doing is allowing your, your customers and your champions to do it in their own time, in their own environment, using their own mobile phone, which I think takes away some of the nervousness and sometimes some of the, some of the imposition. And then with, with a dashboard, you can therefore manage the, the communication going out. You can manage the receiving of the videos. You can then edit the videos, put your branding, and do more things. So just using their strap line, get amazing video testimonials from anyone, anywhere, automatically. So that's vocal video. The next one is another company that's forgotten about, but once again, because it's the time of year to get lots of email communication, which I don't mind so much, a company called Premium Beat. And they were bought, if I'm not mistaken, many years ago by Shutterstock. And I discovered through one of their kind of posts on social media that they have a library of free resources. And I was thinking of you, the library of free video assets, it's so extensive that uh, you'll find what you need, uh, as well as others out there for your next work. Transitions, special effects, overlays, and so on. Anything you'll need for your next visual storytelling. Um, and I'm talking like literally in the hundreds of free video assets and elements. Nice part of their content marketing, granted, so that if you use their free products, you may want to use and subscribe to, to, their, to the other ones. But between premium beat for your existing and future activities and vocal video as a focused kind of uh, video testimonial strategy. That's a very, very good way to get started in 2022. Fantastic stuff. I really like the vocal video idea, Pascal. That's, that's really good. So when I was working in big corporate um, as marketing director, and in, in fact, throughout my entire career, from when I was marketing assistant to marketing director, the one part of the job which absolutely used to drive me insane was projects. Um, I, I just couldn't get my head around projects. And, and it was always good when I could delegate the project management to somebody who knew what they were doing about project management. But there was a running joke that always used to go on about my lack of in, uh, tolerance for the mechanics of project management because every time anybody brought out a Gantt chart, I would almost sort of make the sort, same sort of sounds and huff and puffs that I make when people mention NFTs these days. I just had this almost like natural phobia of Gantt charts and, and and I can think of hours and hours and hours spent in meetings looking at these pieces of paper with these lines on and dependencies and dates start dates and end dates and it, and it used to absolutely drive me insane funnily enough therefore I've actually picked a few apps this week which allow people to create those sorts of charts those sorts of um uh things for their their projects and and i just stumbled across this because um, somebody did ask me about project workflow and it's genuinely not something i've really ever researched into and i actually came down to three apps which actually look to me as if they make this process painless for people like me who absolutely hate it and the three that i've 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 honed in on are monday.com and i just like the name of that um, manic monday blue monday whatever you want to call it and, and and the website is is fresh and it's easy to navigate and then there's another one called gant pro which they've sort of uh, it's orientated more towards 
professionals and students um and and i guess it's just the 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 sign signography the icons and the and the the language of views appeals to that group and then the, the third one is team gant which actually i thought looked the best to me and and, and maybe that's because it's they genuinely say it's geared towards small businesses team gant so check those out if like me you absolutely have to manage projects but project management isn't your favorite thing to do and you recoil from the sign of gant uh, from the site of gant charts these websites these apps might actually help you break through that phobia that you have now that's smashing uh i mean i knew monday.com but i didn't know the others and I must say, I've only been involved in Ghent charting, if there's such a term, when I was in corporates. The moment I left you know, and set up my own business and worked with small organizations, there was no need for them. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we used to change the first letter of Ghent from G to C. Now, I'm not actually going to say it, <laughs> but you know what it will sound like if we actually did that. So, Pascal, once again, some really interesting marketing tech and apps and stuff there. Now it's time to set the controls of the TARDIS, fire up the flux capacitor, switch on the time circuits. Let's head back in time for this week in history. In 1862, a young Thomas Edison, age 15, becomes the first publisher of a newspaper produced and sold on a moving train. His weekly Grand Truck Herald was a single news sheet with adverts from his father's store and local news he received via telegraphy. In 1966, the then Soviet Union successfully lands their unmanned spacecraft Lunik 9 on the Ocean of Storms. This was the first controlled landing on the moon and the third lunar expedition for the Russians. Wow, well in 1972, the first scientific handheld calculator was introduced by Hewlett Picard for $395. It was named the HP 35 for having 35 keys and was the first handheld calculator able to perform logarithmic and trigonometric functions with with one keystroke. In 1986, Pixar Animation Studios, which were behind Toy, Toy Story and The Incredibles, headed by Edwin Catmull and Al Alvy Ray Smith, is spun off from a Lucasfilm as an independent production company with the backing of Steve Jobs. Well, wow, if they regretted that somehow. Oh. My goodness. <laughs> Absolutely right. So, Pascal, what do you think about Thomas Edison becoming a publisher? I mean, that's just genius. At the age of 15, now here's the yeah. story. That's why it made me laugh so much, and that's why I wanted to include it. So, he's a young lad. He's, he's, he's obviously doing a number of things. He's very curious, I'm sure. He's already broken everything that his parents own to understand how it works. But then he's given the job, to begin with, to sell newspapers and, and food and sweets. But he's only earning, essentially, a, um, a fee of sort. He said, I can make more money to sell my own stuff, and particularly my dad's stuff. So he set up a printing room in the carriage de designated for baggages. He found a corner and created a, a printing room so he could literally create, in on the day, that single news sheet, they would receive the information. 
through the telegraph. <laughs> and therefore, the uh, the travelers could, uh, if they left in the morning and then came back maybe in the evening from where they traveled, may have something very different. So this idea of recency, of immediacy, but also driven by this idea of, actually, I'm only earning a fee based on, what, uh, on selling someone else's product. I'm going to create my own product, my own newspaper, and indeed sell my dad's stuff first by putting the adverts in the newspaper at the age of 15. Did yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I used to, when I was um, that age, I used to buy, go to the, the um, paper shop and buy these little red memo books, um, which were about, you know, half A5 size. And they had these red covers off, and I'd rip the red covers off and make about three different little booklets out of that one book. So each book probably had about 16 pages in. And then I used to write these little um, comics about a a space hero called Rod Roden and I used to draw the covers and and the, and and so I think it's a great way for youngsters to to just show their creativity and and just look at what Thomas Edison did that's fantastic and I was also interested in this story about the scientific handheld calculators because again that triggered a memory from school days now I'm I'm thinking I I went I was in senior school the five years of senior school in the UK and that would have been between I think about 1979 and 1984 and in 1979 calculators were sort of starting to become a thing so that's why I was a bit surprised that this was even earlier in 1972 but I remember our maths teacher who was a really big guy called Mr Brelsford he was absolutely against calculators because you had to be able to work out everything in your head and you had to be able to write it down and show your workings out and we had to look up logarithms and trigonometry um, values in log books and trigonometry books and all of that sort of thing but over the period of that five years from 79 to 84 of course calculators started to get smaller they they did start to get more and more keys on them and by the time i did my o levels in 1984 we were allowed to use calculators in our maths even in the exams we were allowed to use calculators but we still had to write down the workings out to show that we actually knew the process we had to go yeah. through so it was absolutely fascinating to think that you know that was at that time that this technology was coming in and of course now we've all got calculator apps on our on our mobile phones that we probably very rarely use but in those days they were like bricks with millions of little tiny little um, buttons on and i had one of these hp not it wasn't the 35 but it was one of the scientific ones with logarithms and everything and i didn't know what half the buttons did oh, it just looked so cool it came with a <laughs> book that was literally twice the size of the calculator and it took forever <laughs> to understand how to use it so just going back to uh, listening to you about your, your endeavors of creating your comic book i suddenly started um it's funny actually i'd forgotten all about it when i was younger what i used to do i used to put together a report on movies coming out so uh, i would um so it's just funny how you know what we now you and i do is still you can still take it back to your childhood so my parents would buy the newspapers and in the newspapers there would be um, adverts sometime even the post of a very, very small one in, in black and white of movies i would cut that 
and then glue them on, on a piece of paper and then literally make up a story because I didn't know, for example, what uh, the movie Alien was about. But I would write a short synopsis and I would give it to my neighbors to read. But with regard to the um, calculator, so I think I had one called Casio or Casio, maybe it's pronounced, um, when I was in the near the last year for my A-levels or baccalaureate. And like you, you had blue, orange, green buttons. You could do so many different things. But by the time you learned how to use the calculator, you probably should have just studied and do it manually. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. So funny. And as always, Pascal, we owe a massive debt to these people in the past who have endeavoured to bring these apps and these gadgets and these technologies to the world because we rely upon them so much. So this is our way of saying thank you to the pioneers and to the inventors and to those people who've shaped the world that we live in today. Pascal, let's move on now. Let's bring ourselves back into the present. Let's move on to our creator shout-outs. So, Pascal, who are you giving a shout-out to this week? Oh, I am utterly delighted to introduce you, our viewers and listeners, to Claire Downham. Claire Downham is based in York. She's a coach, consultant, and speaker about self-confidence. She's also known as the Queen of Calm with her client, and she's heading the program The Antidote of Self-Development. But the reason why she's into this shout-out is because she's the host of the daily, I do mean daily, LinkedIn Live Every morning at quarter to eight, she's doing a quarter of an hour uh, series called The Calm Cast. And I have to tell you, it's really quite extraordinary. Two things, the dedication, you know that all too well, and the discipline to go live daily to bring value to her community, but also the the delivery, the way in which she's gone about it. So when you discover the, um, the post, because I think she's very happy for people to watch it uh, on replay, uh, start their day with her kind of discussions, her questioning, a kind of reflection on the number of things that could get in the way of your own development, your own kind of level of positive energy and so on and so forth. And she's introducing the the show, really, I would call it that, as a time to be calm and think clearly before the day takes over with everything that, you know, we, we have to deal with. So, the, this element of the commitment to the community, there's also the, the structures you have to begin with, quite a, a lengthy um, written post to accompany the live video, which I think shows again a lot of thinking behind it. And everything starts, as you would appreciate it, Roger, with a question, which is very intriguing. And then you feel compelled, of course, to watch it. And I'm going to also suggest to you that um, we can learn a lot from Claire in terms of her delivery in terms of the way she controlled her voice. And clearly she has studied and perfected her public speaking because it is really, really a delight. And it all works together. It's like a, the, the whole package. But you have questions like, you know, have you ever contemplated how much you have learned in life? Question mark. And then you're drawn into her, her discussion. How much time do you spend thinking about your thinking? Are you perfect? How much do you use the word should? And so it goes on. So... She's really on this journey of exploration. She's sharing what she's understood to date. She's sharing, obviously, advice on how you can you know, really bring more calm and clarity into your life. And, and once again, I just really I am so impressed with that commitment to the daily LinkedIn Live 
and the way in which she's kind of structured everything. I should have checked, and I will ask her whether the um, sessions are available as a podcast, but that would be just an amazing way to listen to on your way to work or if you're doing something else, because once again, what she says and how she says it is such an experience. So Claire Dannon, Queen of Calm from York. That really is commitment. That's so, so good. My shout out is a gentleman called David Warsfold. Now, I've known David for many, many years. If you go to his website, Warsfold Media, he describes himself as a journalist, author, speaker, and trainer. Now, I first met David as a journalist when I was working in financial services many, many years ago, but he's also been on the Marketing and Finance podcast actually talking about presentation skills because he's also a speaker, but he also trains people people in presentation techniques. So he's got quite a few strings to his bow. But what I like about David's uh, website and particular his blog, and um, which is why I'm giving him a shout out today, is that for me, he's often a voice of reason within the media. Now, of course, at the moment, we've got all this polarizing debates about everything Brexit, the pandemic, whether Boris should resign or not, blah, blah, blah. And there's so much media hysteria around. And quite often, David will just put something up on his blog, which sets out the facts, has a reasoned debate about it, and draws uh, a usually pretty convincing conclusion. And I almost feel sometimes that it's like a, a little bit of an o oasis in the media desert, if that's a, if that's not a, a bad analogy. Uh, so check it out. It's a little bit different. David Warsfold is also a really good trainer. And if you're looking to, um, you know, to d develop your presentation skills, you, you should look at him for that. But this shout out is more about his blog. And I think he really is the voice of reason. Smashing. So we'll have voice of reason and the voice of count together. Absolutely. Today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pascal, it's time to move on to the film marketing section. And boy, have we got a film to talk about this week. Well, Pascal, this is only the second time in Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast where we've actually talked about and reviewed a film which we haven't actually seen yet. And I think the first one was way back in episode two when we talked about No Time to Die. Now, of course, we talked about No Time to Die again last week, having finally seen the film after its many, many delays. But this week, we're going to be talking about the latest film in the Scream franchise. Now, it's just called Scream but it's actually the fifth film. So whether it should be called Scream 5 is probably something that we should talk about today. But before we talk about anything, let's dive straight into the trailer. There's certain rules to surviving. Believe me, I know. They always come back. The killer is a part of something in the past. This one just feels different. You're all in danger. Mom? Where? Sydney. I've seen this movie before. Not this movie. You said we were going to finish this. Go finish it, Sydney.
be right back. <laughs> He's dead. Wow, that's how you cut a trailer, Roger. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> I mean, it's all it, immediately. You know, it's part of the franchise. All the all the iconic uh, iconic things are in there. The the shadow mask um, and everything like that. The, the the old characters, the new characters, the the way the setup is played through. Obviously, we haven't seen this film yet. It's only been out for about a week. We'll be going to see it as soon as we can. But uh, it, it, it definitely it definitely sucks you in, doesn't it? But is it Scream or is it Scream 5? So let's deal with that. So the filmmakers and producers saying it's a reboot. But then again, it's a direct sequel to Scream 4 that was actually mm. released 10 years ago, give or take, mm. Um, mm. Roger. Just as a reminder, um, Wes Craven... Who left us in 2015 created the screen franchise with the first one in '96, and it's funny because in '96 when he came out, there was almost two things going on. They had the fans who couldn't wait to go and see the the movies, and the critics saying Wes Craven's too old to make films like this and to hold an audience, and they were so wrong. So the filmmakers want it to be called Scream. They want to re- kind of uh, retain that. But everybody's saying Scream 5 because it is literally the fifth chapter. But I think, do you think it's a marketing decision to avoid using the number so that it doesn't devalue um, the brand, I suppose, or or the, the desire to go and see the film? I'm not sure it would affect me at all, but then... I'm of the I'm of the age that we we saw the originals way back. We saw number four, as you say, was ten years ago. So we've we've been aware of the franchise over its two decades or so, maybe twenty five years now. But I guess younger people who maybe don't know the franchise or haven't discovered it yet, it's it's probably not going to make any difference to them. And possibly if they saw a title that said Scream 5, it might put them off going because they think, well, I've not seen the first four. So by just calling it Scream, then it, it, it removes potentially a barrier. I, I'm not sure it would it would affect me at all in, in my decision to go to see it, but I have the benefit of, of knowing about the franchise. So maybe that was the, the logic behind it. Sure, and you you mentioned there's only a week um, of its release at the time of recording this podcast, and so far I've kept away, you know, because I didn't want to get any spoilers. But both critics and fans are absolutely loving this uh, this chapter and installment of of the screen franchise. So we're going to talk about the marketing, and we're going to talk particularly about the social media marketing, which has been mm-hmm. the focus mm-hmm. of their campaign. But before we do so, I wanted to ask you very quickly. They sadly had to cancel the premiere that was scheduled yeah. for the 11th of January, the movie being released on the 14th, pretty much around the world. Do you think that was uh, a big miss, the premiere being cancelled, or do you think movies can do without? I guess the I guess the movies can do without it because ultimately something as powerful a franchise as this is going to get bums on seats whether or not isn't it but what they will miss out on is the the media coverage of the big event you know when there is a premiere you will always get the shots of the stars having their interviews they'll they'll be very interested in what the ladies dresses look like and they'll be very interested in um in the director and the and the actors and the and, and, and the musicians and everything together and I guess without that media spotlight, it does feel as if something's missing. But I'm not sure it will actually affect the viewing figures. So what, one thing that I think is working really well for the Scream franchise, I would argue probably the best-loved slasher horror movie franchise of all times, 
and I think people do credit Wes Craven for that, is that there you've got the main kind of um, baddie, ghost face, with that mask that has become so iconic. And I would say it's a second iconic character that Wes Craven has given to us after uh, Freddy Krueger. But then mm. we've come to really, really root for Sidney Prescott and Gail Weathers and to appoint Dewey Riley, who has, has gone through his own journey as a character. So we're back, you know, supporting them in their kind of once again encounter against Ghostface and having to guess, you know, who's behind who's behind the, the mask. But what they've done is by this idea, is it a reboot? Is it, is it a sequel? Even from the poster design, the poster that for Scream, Screen 5 is very, very different to the previous four. And it's not just a, a time thing, and 10 years is a long time, and trends and style do change. But for me, it does feel like they're trying to say it's called Scream, by the way. You know, there's no number five on yeah. the poster. And the design is very, very different. If you had one, two, three, four, and then this one next to it, it's a, a tracking difference, isn't it? Yes. And it looks very much like a Netflix. Um, cover to yeah. me mm. uh, a lot of netflix um um things that advertise their shows tends to have the entire cast on the picture doesn't it um, and and that's what they've got here having said that there is the very cl clever line that says the killer is on this poster which of <laughs> course is is absolutely does that actually mean that the killer is on this poster as in ghostface which is on the poster obviously or is it that one of the characters that's on the poster is actually masquerading as Ghostface is actually the killer. So we'll have to wait until we see the film to answer that question. But I thought that was quite clever. And that means that they had to put the entire cast on the poster in order to use that line, I guess. And what is interesting, the, the Scream franchise has also been successful because of the combination of scares with humour and satire, which is what Wes Craven was being praised for. And what we'll see in a moment is the whole marketing campaign plays on that humour. And sometimes it's actually the killer who's addressing you via social media. Sometimes it's the, the characters. And, you know, f for me, I'm also looking at this poster thinking there'd be fans who've studied it, looking for Easter eggs or even little nods <laughs> to other horror movies because the whole thing about Scream is that the difference with other horror movies, you know, I've sometimes joked about it, the characters know about horror movies, they know about the rules, they, they, they kind of understand that they are working within, you know, the, the set kind of protocols, and therefore they try and survive and or find the killer, knowing the rules of horror movies, whereas in some time people, you know, that, you know, could watch a film and think, well, Surely you know how to kill a werewolf. We've not watched movies before. And <laughs> and I think that's why it is lovely. In, and of course, the whole premise of do you like scary movie? What is your favorite scary movie? And all those things. But that poster, I think, is going to get people talking for quite some time. But just in terms of chronology, very quickly, um, this movie was pretty much um, produced in and around 2019. Um, there was a desire, certainly, for them to be released in 2021 in line with the 25th anniversary of the first one. They couldn't do that because of COVID. So on the 12th of October, we had our first official trailer, which was very, very good indeed. And there was just nothing much until really, uh, and then suddenly it just completely got uh, on you know, overdrive on social media, which has been really the most surprising thing for me. That's a surprising, Roger, because you and I have, have agreed that whilst what we're going to discuss in a moment is a very, very good social media campaign, you and I 
have seen none of it. That was so surprising for me as well, because you said to us, let's talk about Scream, because the social media campaign is being heralded as one of the best ever. And I just don't genuinely recall seeing anything. And that's really bizarre, because you and I are always talking about films in our social media posts, whether it's on Facebook, um, Twitter, even on LinkedIn, I mention films, and we mention films in our posts for this podcast as well. So you would think that the algorithms out there would have picked up on the fact that we are film buffs. Um, but the algorithm has chosen, for whatever reason, to exclude us from this campaign for Scream. So, you know, they, they've even though it's a fabulous campaign, and we're going to talk about it in a few moments, as you say, they've perhaps not got the algorithm, perhaps hasn't got the targeting right, and that's a real shame. A real shame, because we missed uh, some really entertaining and uh, inspiring, because a reminder for all of us, we use this segment of the show as a source of inspiration for our own content creation efforts. I discovered, this is you know how bizarre this is all this, I discovered about the... Um, the cleverness and impact of the social media campaign on a social media website praising mm. the campaign called social media today but not mm. via let's say a film based you know a stream so very quickly the kind of chronology of the the typical marketing pack so we have the teaser poster we have the first trade on the 12th of october on the 7th of January of this year, there was a featurette with Neef Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arker talking about the returning to Woodsboro. And on the um, you know, 9th of um, January, which is only a, f a few days ago, very clever, actually. That was maybe instead of the premiere, the, um, the, the, the actors, not Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Niff Campbell, went on the Drew Barrymore TV show. Now, if you're a mm. fan of Scream you realize how important that is because Drew Barrymore was indeed the first victim on the very first uh, Scream chapter all those years ago. Yes, that was really good, wasn't it? I saw that and thought it was funny. And then we had the final trailer on the 11th of January, which is when I rediscovered Scream via social media today. So it's, it's kind of bizarre. So they went ahead with Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, TikTok, of course, but also Discord. I think this is the first time that I found myself mentioning Discord on film marketing and the whole social media campaign that we're going to go kind of, um, Roger and I, you know, step by step, had the hashtag Scream Movie, Scream, and Ghost Face. And it all begins, as far as I can tell, you know, from the research that we've done, really uh, in September following a year of teaser content that it would be essentially expected. It all begins really cleverly on the 27th of September with the launch of the Woodsboro Horror Film Club on Facebook, hosted by actors, you could argue, but you know, characters in the universe of Scream, Sarah and Ash, who use Facebook and TikTok to talk about how exciting they are to see the latest Scream movie, but also talking about um, Stab and all the, the different elements of the universe. And certainly you have two campaigns, Roger. You have the normal Scream social media campaign, and you have the let's call it fictional campaign with the Woodsboro, which is not a real town as far as I know, horror film club. Yeah, it's very good. It's it's almost making reality out of out out of the scenario, isn't it? And 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 I guess that that's 
to me, that's absolutely what Scream's about. Because as you said before, we know the rules of horror films and they talk about the rules of horror films within the film. So it's very inclusive, isn't it? We're all in on the joke. We all know what the rules are. And this social media campaign, even right from the very start, made you part of it. It brings you into it. It brings you into the narrative and that's i think why even right from the start it it became so powerful and we'll come back to sarah and ash because since they live in the scream universe you can kind of guess that perhaps things aren't going to go so well for them but (laughs) i'm just going to wrap up september and then you can take over october roger with on the 29th of september there was a competition with airbnb where you could win a one-night stay at the original scream house whereby you would even potentially get a call from Ghostface and perhaps play a horror movie quiz. My goodness, that would be quite scary, wouldn't it, actually, to do that? Um, Moving into October, then they had a competition to win tickets to go to the local, your local 25th anniversary celebratory event and watch the original Scream with other fans. So they're making sure that you effectively swat up on what's gone before in order to prepare you for the for the latest one then of course um in uh, october 12th of october the official trailer was released paramount um, channel um the 12th of october still the first artificial reality experience feel what it's like behind the mask with the new ghost face filter again that's quite cool isn't it you actually you can actually feel what it's like to be ghost face um, they didn't give you an actual play knife to play with or a rubber knife or something like that but you can imagine what it would be like to be wearing the mask further on into october ghost face voice filter was added to tiktok now tiktok is massive isn't it pascal Mm. Uh, so of course it would feature in any social media campaign and closing off october they obviously cashed in on the um the massive thing that halloween is in the states particularly but also across the world show me what you're wearing for halloween using the hashtag scream costume and of course i bet that hashtag absolutely trended across the halloween night they actually uh, did an enormous amount of uh, f- uh, fan content sharing on Twitter. It was really, mm. really quite something. Mm. As part of this research, actually, Instagram was a bit easier to use just as, uh, as a learning point. To going back to November, so November was focused on lots and lots of teaser videos, primarily Square, just uh, as, as a footnote. But it was focused on Ghostface, scaring the new characters, and some many, many different renditions using voice as well as uh, text animation of Hello Sydney. <laughs> and <laughs> fans could also send their own creation in terms of poster design. And there was some really amazing uh, artwork out there inspired by horror movies. And if you're, again, a horror fan, which I think was all about, you had some 70s horror movies style of the design. You had 80s and, and, and 90s. Just very quickly, then, starting with December, it all kicks off on the 13th of December with the 12 screams for the holidays. Introduced by Neve Campbell and Courtney Cox in, in a video. And what they say is over the next 12 days, every day we're going to drop some content on the socials. That is going to be pretty exciting. And sometimes it was very simple, Roger, from an exclusive poster design. Some of it is absolutely amazing. And asking you to vote um, using the poster again that you mentioned, you know, who's a ghost face, to some very highly impressive uh, endeavor. So on the 20th of December, you could watch the 1996 Scream movie 
whilst receiving live via messenger some quizzes and some facts about the movie in partnership with Movie Mate, which is, um, again, I'm so disappointed. I would have wanted to do that. Yeah, all of these things. I mean, this is a massive and impressive list of things that were happening, and I didn't see any of it. Uh, so the, the the algorithm must genuinely not like me, or the algorithm just genuinely just doesn't understand me. But we oh, had, but yeah, go on. Not, yeah, we had lemon cakes. The lemon cakes recipe from the Woodsboro Sheriff Department. That was on the 22nd of December. On the 24th of December, unlock the new Screen Movie AR lens and I'll pay you a visit. Tag at Screen Movies and share your videos using ghost faces watching so I can see your creations. See again how inclusive this is. It's asking people to take part. And 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 Scream was always an inclusive movie, even with the stab film was the film within the film. That's right. That's yeah. bringing people in. It's all about inclusiveness. So then we move on to Christmas Day itself. You could argue maybe the last of the 12 Screams of Christmas. Yes. And on the social media, you have almost like a hand-drawn, a hand-painted traditional Christmas card. And at first you kind of go, okay, I can see you know, uh, greetings. You see hints of Woodsboro, you see hints of the knife and so on. But then if, you, if you're not careful, you can miss. There's a QR code in the, in the bottom right-hand corner. If you scan the QR code with your mobile phone, it takes you to a video message from Sarah, one of the hosts of the Woodsboro Horror Film Club, and she's going to a scream party. She's complained that she's not heard from Ash for three days. She knows that people <laughs> are worried about her. She said, don't you worry, I'm going to this party, it's all fine. And then something happens, whether she drops the phone or she's attacked, but what I can say is that we've not heard from Sarah since Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Moving straight into this year, we had a special serial tie-in, you know, cereals that you have for breakfast, your favourite serial killer, buy a collector's box of strawberries and cream cereals from serialkillercafe.co.uk. Everybody's getting in onto this. Absolutely, and we continue with, um, you know, Ashley on, on this one, the Ask Me Anything session on Discord with the blood makers and head of makeup and makeup effects, which I think is lovely. On the 11th of January, merely days away from the release, the Scream soundtrack is released on Spotify. Quick mention of Brian Tyler, one of my favourite music composer for that, that genre of horror and, and action. And then a day before the release on the 14th of January, they um, invite you to play the online video game, Can You Survive the Scream House? <laughs> Essentially combining a tool where you click on different uh, you know, kind of arrows and move around the, the original Scream House with a quiz. Uh, it begins actually, Roger, with a text message from Sydney. But in fact, you've been um, kind of trapped in the house with Ghostface. And if you don't answer the questions properly, Ghostface will get you. <laughs> and of course, when the film was actually launched, they still want people to take part. So again, they're saying, if you're seeing the film this weekend, send a photograph of you from the theatre using the ha hashtag C-Scream and tag at Scream Movies. And again, people from all over the world are sending in the pictures. Some of them are wearing the ghost face mask. Some of them aren't. Some of them are in front of the poster. Some of them are in front of the theatre. Again, it's getting people to take part. So yes, maybe, Pascal, this was one of the best social media campaigns ever for a movie. And you know, the fact that it has been complimented by professionals working social media, not film magazines or you know, not film fans like you and I, 
two things. It means that you and I are doing the right thing with regard to this podcast by including film marketing, where people are saying, look at what the Screen franchise has done. We can learn from this. Yeah. But it also makes me feel so disappointed that I missed out on all the fun. Absolutely right. So we're going to have to, I, I, you know, I, I wish we could meet the algorithm. I wish the algorithm <laughs> was a real person rather than this black magic box that sits somewhere um, in the uh, in the in hyperspace or something. It was a real person. You could go up to it and grab it by the scruff of the neck and say, "We didn't see any of the scream social media stuff, and we're film geeks. Why?" And see how he would have whittled his way out of it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks again. And I will say, for a film that you and I have not seen yet, we've been able to cover a lot of the marketing. But actually, it's to the credit of the um, the marketers themselves because it was so easy to follow and so compelling to go through a chronology of, all right, it all kickstarted in September of last year, and you follow through the journey of um, of execution. And uh, yeah, uh, I think it's going to be one that one of the best film marketing segment for quite some time. Yeah, and of course, what it really does mean now, Pascal, is that we need to get out there and see this film because we've got so excited about it, we haven't even seen it yet. So I think we need to get out there and see it as soon as possible. Thank you, everybody, once again for watching or listening to Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure spending time with Pascal talking about our favourite subjects once again. Please do, as always, subscribe, leave us comments, either leave us comments on the YouTube channel or get in touch with us on Twitter or the other socials. Until the next episode, please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Thank you.